Goodbye Forever, Volume 2 by Nakchang Rinpoche, Chapter 7, Part 2. Woohoo! Dot shrieked as I gained both feet again from having removed the undergarment in question. Dot seemed to be quite a one for shrieking. I never saw a man who shaved before. Right, I responded. It goes back to Annalie, my Swiss lady friend, of a long time ago. She told me she thought pubic hair was unhygienic, so I obliged her by removing it. My, my, Jan said, accompanied by the familiar movement of her eyebrows. You certainly are an obliging man. <clears throat> I do my best. And then, even though we were no longer together, she had to go back to Switzerland and, well, it's a long story, but anyway, I've found it cooler in the summer and so I continued to depilate. I think, Dot, said Georgina, that as Chugyam accepted your challenge by wearing your knickers, you could respond by shaving. Right on, Kate called out. I think that's only fair, Dot, especially after drawing attention to Chugyam. Dot looked a little befuddled and turned to Jan. What do you think, Jan? Do you think that's fair? Well, I don't think it's fair to make a challenge on Chugyam's behalf. He didn't ask for a return challenge. And then, turning to me, what do you say, Chugyam? Are you going to back this challenge? No, my acceptance was my own choice and it's not really in my personality to issue challenges. So it's up to you, Dot. Jan grinned, whether you do the honourable thing or not. Tell you what, if you do, I'll join you. Dot looked cornered. I felt sorry for her. You know, far be it from me to comment, but this is starting to look a little like how men are with each other. And who says we can't be like that? Jan inquired. Certainly not me, I was simply commenting. But I would also comment that this is an aspect of male interactions that never appealed to me. I may accept a challenge for the hell of it, but I'd never be inclined to issue one. I hated sport at school and have never understood what's supposed to be so exciting about competition. You're an interesting bloke, Chogyam, Jan mused. Rather unpredictable, in a kind of almost old-fashioned way. So you really don't like jousting? No, unless I used a quintane. I'm not enamoured of making anyone feel uncomfortable. I do appreciate challenge, but I'd really only want to challenge myself. That, for me, is the essential challenge. The challenge of existence, especially when no one knows about it. Then there's nothing to be proved, no one to prove anything, and no one to whom it could be proven. 
Jan nodded with a smile. I can't argue with that. The last part sounds almost like the Heart Sutra. Well, I laughed. Thank you for such a great compliment. I didn't mean to wax profound or anything. Speaking of waxing, stated Kate, I'll join Jan in the shaving thing. What about you, Georgina? I'm in, Georgina laughed, but only if we can find a decent razor. Well, there I can oblige you, I offered. I have enough fresh blades for you all, some rather fine shaving soap and a beautiful old badger hair shaving brush that's soft enough for the most delicate requirements. Dot burst out laughing. Well, that's settled that then. Looks as if we'll have an interesting parade tomorrow. Jan shook her head with a mixture of mirth and incredulity. It's a shame Trumper isn't here, Kate chuckled. I think he would have been at home with all this. Jan frowned slightly at that statement, but said nothing. I decided it was time to clamber down the bank into the water. There was a deal of shrieking as the ladies entered the stream, but finally we all submersed. Dot then called attention to the fact that breasts float in the water and asked whether I'd ever noticed the fact. Not personally, I replied, and my experience of skinny dipping has usually been at night, so I've never encountered the phenomenon before. And what do you think of it now you have encountered it? I'd say, what would an English gentleman say? I pondered for a second. I'd say it's one of the wonders of the universe. I'm glad to have improved my education in the witnessing of it. This caused great hilarity and I decided that speaking in archaic mode was by far the safer option in such circumstances. We then decided that we needed to warm up on the bank of the river. The sun was quite warm and so the water, although cold, was refreshing up to a point at which it needed relieving. I'm not keen on the sun, I commented. But after chilling out in the river, the warmth is quite welcome. We sat chatting about all manner of subjects that wove themselves through Buddhism, blues, Bach, Buxtehude, Boccherini and Botticelli. I noticed the succession of bee names with unaccountable delight. I also noticed with delight how a group of naked people could sit and discuss the arts and Buddhism with no evident discomfort. Just before we headed back to Sunny Ling, Jan gave me a curious look and said, I'd like to thank you for saying nothing about my breasts. That was a little surprising and I was not sure how to respond. Glad not to have been inappropriate, but what would there be to say? You're not one of these men who's frightened of large breasts, are you? Frightened? No, far from it. You don't dislike large breasts then? 
what's there not to like or have a thing about them? What kind of thing do you mean? I asked, somewhat perplexed. This was a slightly awkward situation for me, even though I considered myself unembarrassable. I had to admit to myself that I was feeling ever so slightly tentative. If we'd been clothed, I could have discussed attitudes toward breasts the livelong day. But with Jan right there in front of me, her opulently ample bosom brushing her navel, I felt somehow slightly gauche. Well, men of both persuasions seem always to have to say something about it. Bernard, you know, the one with the grey Aran sweater and enormous moleskin trousers, came along one day and decided he had to say something. That comment came as a relief because a response was simple. I'd consider any such comment to be crass and invasive. Appreciative remarks are only proper within a relationship and unappreciative remarks are vulgar and ungallant to say the least. Bravo, she gave a small round of applause. Listen to this, she called out and then regaled the other ladies with what I'd said. How refreshing, Doc grinned. We were wondering what it would turn out like when Jan suggested inviting you on our lunchtime swim. We've only ever had a few men along before, and as Jan said, one was very silly. Terribly tedious, actually. Well, it ought to be possible for human beings to take a swim without having to behave like junior school children, I observed. That's what I've always thought, Jan replied. I nodded in her direction and went to take another dip in the river. This had definitely been an unusual situation. The main difficulty I was having was the uncomfortable idea that I was nowhere near as blasé as I thought I was in this sort of situation. I would have thought I was up for almost anything, but I clearly wasn't, internally at least. I walked back to Sammy Ling with Kate. I felt she'd somehow excused herself from the group to atone for her inappropriate remark concerning Chugyam Trumpa Rinpoche. I thought it would be useful to put her at her ease, as I was the one, if anyone, who represented what he represented. As soon as Jan was a safe distance away, Kate said, Jan's quite a powerhouse, isn't she? I think you cope very well with being put on the spot like that. And Dot, last night, with all that thing of hers about her knickers and discussion of breasts and bras. I coped less well than you think. I was feeling a little on edge, to be honest, but I don't object too much to being put on the spot. It makes life interesting and makes me feel as if the 60s haven't entirely disappeared. Interesting point of view, but what would you have said if you were being dishonest? I'd have said, this kind of thing happens to me quite often. It's not just naked lunch. 
Where I live, it's naked breakfast, elevenses, high tea and dinner to boot. Kate laughed at that. Have you ever read Naked Lunch? Took a look at it a few years back, but didn't warm to his style or the subject matter. Maybe I'm some kind of recidivistic Victorian prude, but I don't find the subject of heroin addiction that interesting. Wandering around America in a psychologically debilitated state is, well, maybe it was novel in the 50s, but now it's vaguely moronic. Um, sorry about that. I should have asked you if you enjoyed the book before I burdened you with my opinion of it. No, I didn't enjoy it that much either. It's just that there are some books that you feel almost compelled to read because it's the done thing. Know what you mean, said Dot, who'd just caught up with us. And that's more or less why I took a look at it. It didn't take long, though, to arrive at the conclusion that the title is the most interesting thing about the book. That's a little bit like I felt about fear and loathing in Las Vegas, said Kate. Apart from the fact that it was more fun to read, did either of you ever read that? We both had and agreed that fear and loathing in Las Vegas was more fun, but not a book we'd be inspired to read a second time. I really was feeling as if I'd time-travelled. I was back somewhere between 1966 and 1969. I had the feeling that I was living inside a play that had been scripted for all characters apart from me, and I was having to ad-lib as best I could in order that the play could go on. I'd come to Sammy Ling for Buddhism, but Apart from the formal sessions in the shrine room, I was getting a hearty draught of the summer of 67. I wondered what I was going to say about my sojourn here when I got back to Bristol. I could imagine, somehow, telling Penelope, Rebecca and Merrill about it. But debt, what would I say to debt? Then it occurred to me that I didn't like being a person who couldn't be frank about everything in my life. I should not feel constrained in this way and realise that I'd accidentally allowed myself to be governed by debt's sensitivities. After all, skinny dipping wasn't a crime and, all things considered, I'd not planned to be the only male in the group. I decided that I'd publish and be damned. It was no way to live, to be compulsorily clandestine. I hated deceit. I hated it as a child. I hated it as a young adolescent. Adolescent. But it had been forced on me by an overbearing father. Well, maybe that's an odd way to look at it. My honesty or lack of it was my responsibility. But there seemed to be no choice if I was to be as I wanted to be, rather than how my father wanted me to be. And now my father was no longer a problem. We got on just fine. I had even ceased to be surprising. He was even proud of my success at art school. 
Derek had been lavish in his praise of my work and attitude when my parents had visited the art school. And apart from the fact that it was art, rather than mathematics, physics or engineering, I'd turned out to be almost normal. He seemed to have developed a blind spot as far as my hair was concerned and my clothes, although weird, were always clean and ironed where ironing was required. I probably caused the average hippie more consternation than I caused my father. And that was all to the good. I'd never meant to cause him vexation, and now that I no longer provided fuel for his ire, no one was more pleased about it than I found myself to be. Of course, this was good news for my mother, and had been good news since the summer of 68. My mind flitted back to that time, and as usual I remembered Steve and Ron and Savage Cabbage. I remembered being so glad when I could come out into the open with being a Buddhist. It was so good not to be deceptive. It was such a massive freedom that the memory of it made me uneasy about where I was with debt. I didn't blame her for being as she was. I had no real grievances. One day we'd separate. We'd made no promises or lifelong vows. But although we still had fun, we were a little too different from each other. Maybe we should face the mismatches. Were we both taking up each other's time when we could both be available for someone more suitable? Maybe she'd find someone to replace me who'd be what she actually wanted. It even caused me to smile when I thought of her telling some new beau what a dreadful madman I was. I could even hear her voice. And he'd go off on these long and tedious expositions of things that even he didn't understand. He was continually philosophising about everything when he hadn't the slightest idea about philosophy. There was a question at the back of my mind whilst I was at Sammy Ling. I'd somehow expected that it would precipitate dreams or visions of Kyung Chen Lingma, but so far nothing had occurred. There was no accounting for it. Dreams and visions functioned according to factors that were entirely arbitrary, so there seemed to be nothing I could do to encourage them. If a Tibetan Buddhist centre could not act as a secondary cause, what would? The secondary causes were mainly those associated with the later 1960s and the hippie epoch. But I would have thought that the Tibetan centre would have provided something that prompted something. Nothing. I was disappointed. I was a disappointment to myself. Where was this tulku, this incarnation of Aroyeshe? I always had a sense of waiting, of anticipation and expectancy, but continued to feel more or less as any relatively typical Englishman might feel, having experienced an adolescence in the late 1960s. Fortunately, I was not having to live up to anything in particular, 
apart from being a decent human being. There was no Gompa or Nakpa Dratsang over which I was to preside, and no reverential assembly of practitioners looking to me to provide inspired guidance. Himalayan Buddhist tulkus would have had contemporaries with whom they could discuss such matters, but I'm on my Todd, I whispered, feeling the need to speak the words. Still, Kyabje Dujum Rinpoche wanted me to live as a Nakpa in the West, in the art school environment and whatever followed. At least I was following his instructions. Maybe I was expecting something to happen too soon. I was practising consistently every day. I was studying. I'd come to Sami Ling. Then I burst out laughing. I even jumped at the chance of becoming a part-time yak herder. <laughs>